Welcome to the Ramp Church Podcast. We are so honoured that you've joined us today and we pray that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. If you'd like to know more about Ramp Church Manchester or would like to partner with us in giving, visit us over on our website, ramp.church forward slash mcr or find us on social media. Now let's head straight into this week's message. Although I'm really thankful for all the chocolate that my kids bring home. Around Easter, Easter isn't about chocolate. Um, as Christians, we celebrate this day uh, not because of how important tradition is or what people have believed through the centuries, although that is important. We celebrate this day because our faith is built on what happened on this day nearly 2,000 years ago. And... Um, there was a man, of course, called Jesus. He lived an extraordinary life, lived, uh, died uh, a mind-blowing death by execution. And then, uh, most surprising of all, not just to us, but to his early followers, he defeated death and was raised on the third day um, from the dead. Um, and then for the next 40 days, he spent revealing himself to his, to his early followers. And that launched this fearful, hidden community into a very public stance of, of trying to lead the people around them into the saving knowledge of knowing Jesus. And so I want to read, um, I'm going to read a passage from one of those early followers of Jesus called John. Who told, us, who told the story from his perspective on Jesus' resurrection. And then I want to get into a message that I feel like for every person here, my hope is that it pulls that event into our everyday life. Amen? Let's read this story. Uh, if you have your Bible, you can turn to John chapter number 20. John chapter number 20. You can, you can use your digital Bible, physical Bible. Or if you don't have a Bible, I'm going to read it. And I'm, I'm a decent reader, so hopefully you can still follow along. John chapter number 20, verses 1 through 18. This is what John wrote. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. 
As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, don't hold on to me for I have yet, for I've not yet ascended to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my father and your father to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he'd said these things to her. This is God's word. What a story. Isn't it amazing? Um, I, for me, this is my favorite week of the year um, because of the significance of this day. And we make a bigger deal out of Christmas um, but really in the Christmas calendar, in the Christian calendar, Easter tells us really what, what Christmas is all about. If Easter hadn't have happened, Christmas would be insignificant. I was speaking at a young adult retreat a few summers ago, and there was a Q&A. So there was like a panel and a Q&A, um, and I was, I was on the panel. And one of, one of the university students, young adult, asked the question, you know, what, what would it take to disprove Christianity? What would it take to disprove Christianity? And I was like, man, this is the easiest question we're going to ask all night. Because it is quite simple. If you find Jesus' dead body, everything else falls apart. Because without a resurrected Christ, we just have a good teacher. Without a resurrected Christ, him coming is insignificant because it was the fact that Jesus was dead and then defeated death that vindicated every claim he made in life. He, he had some great things to say. He had some wise things to say. But if he didn't have the power to conquer death, he was also a little loony. Because he said weird things about his oneness with God. His knowledge about how the whole world and the cosmos were created. About how he himself will die and then raise from the dead. And it would be difficult to qualify him as a good teacher without the resurrection because without the resurrection, he's not, he's not a good teacher. He's a loony teacher. But it was the resurrection that, that made everything else he did and said significant for you and I. And maybe you're not a person of faith today. First of all, I'm so glad you're here. I feel like a community of faith is the best place to explore faith. So if, if that's where you're at, or maybe you're online and you're just wondering, you know, what is this whole faith thing about, stick around, stick around for a few weeks, you know, and just, just kind of 
expose yourself to the conversation. But we haven't taken silly pills on the way in. We do believe a physical person was raised from the dead, but it's not because we left our brain at the door. There's a few reasons, and I want to share some of those reasons. I wish I could, I wish I could take a couple hours and just dive into how can we be confident that Jesus was raised from the dead. But I just want to, I just want to dip into that. The, the first reason we can be confident that Jesus raised from the dead, I've already mentioned, that's because the tomb is empty. And there were many religious leaders of Jesus' day. Actually, at the time of Jesus, there were roughly 50 tombs of former religious teachers that the Jewish community paid homage to. They would take pilgrimages to. They would celebrate their life and their teachings because they were great men and women of God. And they were then celebrated because of their contributions. And even the Jewish tradition, if, 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 if you have ever been around committed or, or orthodox, modern orthodox Jews, you'll realize much of the way they practice Judaism is based on the, te- uh, the teachings of the rabbi they follow. So there's a, lot, there's a lot of interpretation in their faith tradition. And so it's very important the person they follow, like their due, their this is my leader and I'm going to base my life around the way they live. Because of that, they honored these people. Well... That never happened with Jesus' tomb. Why? Well, because he wasn't in it. He wasn't in there. And if he would have been, we can be confident they would have celebrated him in that same way. So the tomb is empty. uh, Another reason is because of the change that happened in his early followers' lives. First of all, you have to realize there was no category in the Jewish mindset or the Jewish understanding that someone would be physically raised from the dead. Well, why is that important? Because they didn't expect it. They're not sitting around going, man, I really think this guy's going to be raised from the dead. No, they, the only idea they had about raising from the dead was at the end of all things when God would make all things new. But they never had the perspective that one person in history would, be, would defeat death, even the Messiah. They had no category in their mind for that. So they wouldn't create that category. That's not the Jewish expectation. So what happened for these people who have no theological category, they're committed Jews, to all of a sudden believe that someone raised from the dead? They saw him. That's what happened. And also the reports that we have about Jesus' life don't make sense if the stories were made up. Can I give you a couple reasons why? If you and I were trying to start a new uh, religion and we were going to base the religion around a made-up story that a man raised from the dead. Okay, we're already in kooky land, but just roll with me here. Hypothetically, we were making a new religion and it's based around somebody raised from the dead. Okay, so we make up this story... We're going to make sure everything in this made-up story is set up to take, for us to lead and take over once, once this man is, is ascended to heaven, right? In our story, ascended to heaven. There's a few things that, that make that problematic about the Bible. Number one, the future leaders of the church, the guys who would supposedly had made up this story about Jesus, are, are cast in an incredibly disparaging light. So Peter, the chief apostle, the future chief leader of the church, is seen doubting and denying Jesus publicly. 
Now, if I was going to make up a story about me, first of all, I'd have Brad Picklight looks. I know I'm not far off, but... Okay, I'd start there, okay? But the, the last thing you'd see me do is deny the leader that I'm claiming to be the new representative of. So there's disparaging accounts about the people who would be the future leaders of the church. Second, I would ensure that the witnesses that saw this fake man raised from the dead, that they would, that they would be bulletproof, right? And do you realize the story that we just read in John, John's account of, of, of the gospel of Jesus, the one who found the tomb of Jesus was Mary Magdalene. Now, do you know Mary Magdalene's history? Matthew's account of Mary Magdalene says that Jesus... Jesus freed her from seven demons. Now, I know you and I, are, we're a bit too modern to think of the word demon, okay? We don't like that word. But look at it like this. She had serious mental illness. Now, I believe there were seven demons because I'm committed to the Bible. But if it makes you more comfortable to think of that as insanity, look at it like that. So if, if we're making up a story about someone who's going to claim they saw the risen Christ. Are we going to choose a former insane person to say, I saw him raised from the dead? No. Uh, likewise, in, in, the Roman, in the Roman society at that time, women's testimony was not accepted as plausible in a court of law. So if you are a, a community trying to start a new faith, and you're claiming someone's been raised from the dead and you're making this story up, why would you choose someone who is formerly insane and whose, whose account is not plausible in court? You know what the answer is? You wouldn't. The only plausible answer is, that's what really happened. It's what really happened. The reason they put her into the story was because she was the one in the story. And that tells more about Jesus than it does about us because Jesus would choose. Come on, see, some of you have disqualified yourself from seeing Jesus or knowing Jesus. But Jesus would choose to have the first person who he revealed his risen, glorified body to. Come on. To be someone who disqualified themselves from even seeing him that way. All of society said their, that their testimony is invalid. But Jesus says, out of anybody I want to choose to tell my story, that's the one. That's the one. See, this is a, this is a story only Jesus could tell. Another reason is... Not only do we see the disciples transform from some, some guys that really didn't have it all together, they were sheepish. Some of them, one, one Bible account, one gospel account tells us that they were so scared when Jesus got arrested, one of them took his clothes off and ran away naked. They were out of their mind scared. But eventually, what happens? How do these men turn from these sheepish, sheepish, I'll get English down at some point in my life. I know I'm American, but I can get there. Sheepish, fearful, cowardice people because they saw something that was undeniable. And then history tells us that all of these early disciples, 11 of the 12 of Jesus' closest followers, would go on then to be highly persecuted for their faith. 10 out of those 11 would then be martyred. 
for their faith. And you go, well, people have died for dumber reasons. Yeah, but, but nobody dies for something they know is a lie. You may make up a story, but you're not about to give your life for the story you made up. Are you with me? So the transformation in the life of the disciples. And the final thing is, there's billions of people who have claimed to have very similar experiences throughout history with the Jesus of the Bible. And he's not dead. Come on. He's a living, active, speaking, moving Savior. He's alive today. And modern science has told us hallucinations are real. But the idea of social or group-based hallucinations is not a thing. They're individualized. They generally happen in, in, in unsocial settings. Does that make sense? So the idea of historically, so let me say it like this. Let me summarize it like this. The the theologian and historian Tom Wright, he he basically says it like this. There's no other way to explain the past 2,000 years of history. As a purely historian, you can't explain what's happened throughout human history other than the man who was dead is raised from the dead. So in case you thought we checked our brains at the door, for us, the resurrection is the way we make sense of history. It's not our, it's not our buffer against reality for some weak-minded or irres- irresilient people. It is actually the, the best way we can explain what's happened. In history, um, when I was a kid, we had these things connected to the wall by a wire called a telephone. Anybody remember those? And they had a di- come on, David. They had a dial. D- David just did it. He just did it. Okay. So here's what would happen when you answered the telephone that does not happen anymore. Someone who you're not trying to talk to would answer it. So we don't have that experience anymore. Like you call the number of the person. Like I don't answer Stacy's phone. She doesn't answer my phone. You know what I mean? You call Stacy's number. And if she's not available, it goes to voicemail. Well, back then you would say things like Reese's residence. (laughs) Reese's residence, Joe talking. But of course, when I'm a kid, this is what, this is what it sounds like. Hello. Hello? And this is, what, this is what would happen. This is my favorite event as a child. I'm loading on the sarcasm on that one. Oh, hi, Lauren. It's my younger sister's name. My younger sister's name. Oh, hi, Lauren. Is your mom there? This is Joe. Oh, sorry, Joe. Is your mom there? Because that's what happened in the telephone is you would, you would, uh, you don't know who in the house would answer. And sometimes when you're over to friend's house, you would actually answer the friend's phone. They'd be like, hey, get that, get that, get that. Just tell them I'm cooking, right? You, you over there, hi. And they're like, the person, they're like, who is this? They're trying to figure out who this is. So I, I, it was the bane of my childhood existence to be called my sister, who is two years younger 
My sister's name. Hi, Lauren. My name is not Lauren. Have, have you ever been around somebody who, who, who doesn't know your name? And they call you by the wrong name? And you just like roll with it? <laughs> like the most, my name's Joe. The most common one for me is John. And so it's like, you don't know them well enough to like see, are they going to be okay if I like correct them right now? But like also we know each other too much that if I corrected them, that they know they should know my name by now, but they don't. <laughs> so you're in that like awkward in between. So if like I correct them, now, now it's weird. Or sometimes it's a pronunciation thing. So sometimes people don't call me Joe, they call me Joel. <laughs> hey, Joel. I'm like, oh, you're so close. Just like take off that last letter. <laughs> like there is something about identity. Like being known for who I am or who I wished I was, who I want to be, that is vitally important to us. I mean, on like on an internal level, like... Like, we need that. I mean, to the point that, and that's not just reflected in individual, like, personalities or ideas. It's reflected in society. Like, right now, the, one of the biggest social debates is the idea of pronouns, right? And the way, we, the way I want to be identified. Like, that's how important that is. I want, to, I want you to recognize me for me, for who I am. And this theme is all through the New Testament pertaining to Jesus. The constant discussion throughout the Gospels is this. Who is this dude? Who is this dude? Like, this guy's doing miracles. I don't, I, you know, we've seen that before, but like, there's something else about him. Is he some like crazy prophet kind of guy? Or this dude has some crazy wisdom. His knowledge of the word, but he hasn't studied in the top universities. But how does he know what he knows? He must be some like amazing teacher guy sent from God. I, uh, what is going on with Jesus? The other day I came down into my kitchen and um, on the outside of my window, um, in the mornings I'm half asleep until I have a cup of coffee. I don't know if you're like that, but for me it's kind of like, so on the outside of my window there's a snail on the outside of my window, uh, kitchen window. So I'm kind of like around, kind of like around and then I'm like, ah, there's a snail. And um, so there's a snail. I don't know how he got there or why he got in the middle of the window. Like I'm not sure what's, what's happening. But I started, my mind started going crazy places, and I started thinking about snail's eyes. <laughs> this is what I think about in the morning. If you think I'm a holy person who, oh, oh I just pray in tongues for the first 30 minutes of my morning. No, I think about snails. <laughs> and snails, snails have some pretty funny-looking eyes. I'm not sure why they're out on those stems or whatever, but anyway. <laughs> I've always been fascinated. I've always been fascinated with the science behind eyes. Well, we're, we're going somewhere with this. And it's, it's amazing to me how scientists can dissect an eye and then recreate the way that animal sees the world. Have you seen that? So they know, they know like dogs are colorblind, right? Like they know that. 
because they can dissect they can dissect the eye and see, well, these are the characteristics of an eye that you need to see. So I started, that, that got me on this whole trail. This is what preachers do when they see some silly little illustration like a, like a snail. About the way we view life. That oftentimes, just like people's perspective on Jesus, oftentimes our ability to view life has less to do with the world around us and more to do with the characteristic of how we actually see. And this is, this is the principle I want to start this message with. It's right here. Your view of life says just as much about who you are as about the life you're looking at. So that snail crawled up in the middle of that window, but when it looks around at my house, it doesn't see the same thing I do. Why? Because its capacity to perceive the house, to see its very characteristics of the, of the way its eye is built, does not give it the ability to see the house in the way I see the house. It's funny because we live in a world that exalts our ability to intellectually see and rationalize the world around us. So it says, it says things like this. I don't believe in faith. I just believe in science. And I believe in science as well. Congratulations. We both believe in science. I, I believe science is incomplete or insufficient to tell us the whole story. But generally when we say I believe in science, what we mean is I believe in logic. That's what we believe. That's what we say. But the thing about logic is logic is and re, rationale, reasoning, is going to be based purely on what you see. But if the snail could understand me and he was trying to convince me of his reality, this is what I'd say to the snail. What if there's things you can't see? And when we come to the Gospels and you see people who only see part of who Jesus is, they try to define the existence or the characteristics of God based on what they see. My statement to them is, what if there's things about him you can't see yet, but they're there? Because our perspective on life says more about who we are than it does life itself. If you had a difficult upbringing, that's a characteristic of the way you see the rest of your life. If you have a privileged upbringing. If you, had relation, if you have a history of, of solid, healthy relationships, it's, that's going to affect every other relationship in your entire life. Why? Because it affects the way you see. And that has more to do with the relationship, with the way you see than it does the relationship itself. Are you understanding the concept? And this is what's important for today on Easter. It's this next principle. Your view of Jesus says just as much about you as it does Jesus. My hope today is that you get a fresh perspective of Jesus. That you realize the way you see him now, the narrow view you have of him, is based on less on who he is and more on who you are. And it's time to expand your perspective. I love this in John chapter 3. John D, uh, Jesus dealt with a religious leader who was going through this process of seeing more. But before I get to that text, this brings this whole discussion to every person in the room. You could have been going to church since you were a kid, read the Bible 14 times, you pray every day. Uh, it doesn't matter. Your view of Jesus now has room to grow and expand. Or you could be brand new to faith. 
You don't even like the whole faith thing. You're, you're just like, I'm not sure about this. Someone drug me to, to, to Easter service today. The only reason I'm here is because to make my mom happy. Because I knew she'd make me a roast after whatever, your reason. Wherever you're at, there's more to Jesus than the Jesus you see right now. So there's a religious leader called Nicodemus. Let's look at it, John chapter 3. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. The dude is high up, okay? He's legit, and he's going to Jesus to ask him some questions. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi or teacher, we already know who Nicodemus thinks Jesus is. And you've come today with a perspective on who he is, who Jesus is. And the way you've interacted already in this service, can I just peg you for a minute? You're way more than this, but one thing that you and I have done today already is we've interacted with God based on who we already believe he is. But the the, the key to life change is, is to not relate with him just based on who I think he is, but start to relate on him based on who he really is. Jesus is trying to take Nicodemus on this journey. Rabbi, we know we, 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 isn't that amazing? Why well, careful when the we comes in, into the conversation? Because Nicodemus is doing one of two things here. Either he's not taking ownership of his own revelation of who Jesus is, or he's never had his own revelation. He's just, he's just interacting with Jesus based on who everybody else says Jesus is. We have an opportunity today, and that's to find Jesus for ourselves. Young people in the room, this is critical for you. Because somewhere in your journey, someone else's relationship with God is going to have to turn into your relationship with God. Are you hearing me? The reason people often have a crisis of faith around university age is because they've never had their own relationship with God. They are living in Nicodemus's world. We know. Well, we knowing is not going to get you through your life. You knowing is what's going to get you through your life. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who's come from God. So Nicodemus' perspective is, here's 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 the basket he's put Jesus in. A teacher from God, all right? For no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied. That that should be one of the greatest uh, points of passion and pursuit in your life. Seeking for Jesus' reply. Because this is where the life is. Jesus replied, very truly, in other words, if you hear anything, hear this. I tell you, no one can, say this next word with me, see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Nicodemus has a little short circuit and um, the gray mass up top. How can someone be born when they are old? Don't know if he's channeling Yoda or what. (laughs) Nicodemus asked, Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. (laughs) Jesus wasn't, Jesus was not amused. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one, he's, he's now describing what he meant by born again. No one can enter the kingdom of God, God's rule and reign, the realm of existence that God exists in. That's what Jesus is saying. No one can enter that space unless they're born of water, baptism, we don't have time to go into that, and the Spirit. 
Jesus is talking about a new community in baptism, uh, a new way of life and spirit, an internal transformation, a new mechanism that fuels the rest of your living. But what's most important to me about this story is Jesus was inviting Nicodemus into a new way to see. And Nicodemus had narrowed Jesus' identity and therefore all of life itself based only on what he saw. What if everything you're doing in life, every every problem, every challenge, every solution, every joy is limited or fit based on what you currently see? If I could change anything today, if I could just snap my fingers, and God knows that would be a dangerous ability to give me, (laughs) snap my fingers and make one thing change, At at the snap of my fingers, this is what I would change. Everybody's eyes open to see Jesus, just like this. Because when you see him like he is, everything else in your life shifts. Everything else changes. That's why Jesus was not primarily calling people into Christian living or Christian vocabulary or church attendance. Are you getting, these things are very important, so I'm not, I'm not diminishing those. What he was calling them into is see me rightly. And we know that this isn't a one-time thing. Some of you are going, well, I, I've already said yes to Jesus. I've seen him for who he really is. This, this is not a one-time thing. Let me prove it to you. Look at this. Here's Jesus' earlier followers. Matthew 4, the disciples see Jesus as a teacher. Matthew 16, Peter sees Jesus as the Messiah. Mark 9, Peter, James, and John see Jesus as prophet. John 20, the disciples see Jesus as himself, resurrected. John 21 and Acts 1, the disciples see Jesus as apostle. Romans 8, Paul sees Jesus as intercessor. Revelation 1, John sees Jesus as king. These are the people who literally lived every day, walked every day with Jesus for three years, and they still didn't get it all at one time. Your view in revelation of Jesus will come at the speed of your ability to to embody and comprehend where he's leading you into. Did you hear me? That means this journey with Jesus, the ability to see him, to continue to be changed by him, only happens in stages and chapters of your life. The revelation that Jesus was inviting the disciples into was so profound that when they saw him resurrected, they didn't even recognize him at first. Because why? Their perception was limited to the him they knew him to be instead of the him that he really is. Jesus is always inviting you into knowing more of him. The more than you've ever known. That's what this journey is about. And this this is an important principle for you and I. If Jesus is not unrecognizable from your current place in life, keep looking. Just keep looking. Just keep looking. John on the Isle of Patmos, one of Jesus' earlier followers, a a, a leader in, in the church, the early church, was exiled for his faith to an island in the Mediterranean called Patmos. 
there on Patmos, he was praying, and Jesus revealed himself to him, and John, the guy who walked with him for three years, was so astounded by the fresh way he got to see who Jesus really is that he fell on his face, Revelation chapter 1 says, like he was dead. Do you know you can see Jesus in a way that makes every other way you've seen him look insignificant compared to the new way you're seeing him? Are you hearing me? These are people who had walked with him, seen him do miracles, they, had, they, had, they had, had, had his authority put on their life and then, then saw his miracles done through their life. And then John, who had seen the glory as of the only begotten, full of grace and truth it, in the flesh, then sees him on Patmos and falls as dead. The same guy who laid his, his head on his chest. There is more to God and to Jesus than you have ever fathomed. There's more. There's more. There's more revelation. There's more wisdom. There's more freedom for you and for me. There's more grace we can enter into. And if the view of Jesus you have right now, if it doesn't look like it, if it's just unright, just keep looking. Just keep looking. Keep looking for him. I love, this is a, maybe C.S. Lewis's most popular quote, but I love it. He said this in his, in his sermon called Weight of Glory. I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. And the thing about seeing Jesus is that when you see him, you see everything else differently. When you see him, he opens your eyes to a couple things. The first thing I want, I want to say is this. When you see him, he opens your eyes to see your own condition. Paul, early church leader, he wasn't always a church leader. Um, before that, he was like a religious, what we would call today like a religious fanatic. Um, he was someone, he was almost, he was almost, almost like a terrorist. He was almost in that, he was a religious fanatic who would kill people that believed something different than his, than his beliefs. That was Paul. Um, the dude was passionate, but he had some problems, can we just say, okay? And he was persecuting Christians. And on his way to a new city, he was very strategic about the way he persecuted Christians. On his way to a new city, Jesus literally revealed himself Jesus, to Paul on the road. And it came like a great light. This is after Jesus is in heaven. He, he, he'd been ascended. And Paul immediately, this is what Jesus says to Paul, first thing. Saul, it, 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 it's, it's, it's the Greek version of his name. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He's revealing Paul's true condition. Paul says this, who, are, who is this? Who, who, who are you? And Jesus says, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. This leads to an incredible, of course, encounter, but a few days of experience where Paul was so undone by the encounter that he didn't eat or sleep. He was, un, he was completely undone. He had no category for what he just experienced. 
And what he saw was, and this is why he, this is, he actually received physical blindness for, th- for those three days. But this is what, this is to me the message beneath the message. God was trying to say, you are not just physically blind now, you are spiritually blind. You think you see the world for what it really is. You think you see yourself from what it really is, but let me show you your own condition. You are blind. And when you see Jesus, that's the first thing you're going to realize. You're going to see what the Bible calls sin. It's the deep brokenness inside of you and I that we can't avoid. And there's something, there's something interesting about the society we live in right now is we're, we're quick to point out brokenness. Right? It's, we're in a place with the Me Too movement. The, there's so many things right now where we are rightly and rightly so pointing out injustice in our world. The problem is it, it's stopped short. The, 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 the Christian idea of sin is much bigger and much more pervasive. Because the, in our society, we view those people as the people that, that need to be corrected, those people as the racists, those people as the misogynists, and we're the ones who are calling them out. Sin, the Bible views sin much differently than that. The Bible views sin like this. All of us have sinned. Yes, the preacher holding the microphone. That, that injustice is not something that's in their heart and I need to cancel them as if unfollowing them on Twitter was like the way. <laughs> the things we get in our mind. The biblical view is this. Every single one of us in the right circumstances would commit the same sin. The issue is not them out there. The issue is me in here. That's the, biblical, that's the biblical view. The issue is me in here. The, 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 the social idea is that the problems in the world are out there and the solution is just inside. I just go deep and find it. The, the Bible idea is this. The problems are in here and the solution is out there. That's the biblical view. The first step when you see Jesus is we see, uh, we see our own condition. We see ourselves for who we really are. The second step is, oh, uh, let, me re- let me read this because this is where Paul talks about his previous condition. This is what Paul says. I once thought these things were valuable. He's talking about his past life before Jesus. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. That is the journey we're on. So the first thing is when we see Jesus, we also see our own condition. And the second thing is we see God's acceptance. The beautiful thing about the Christian message is this. We get an eyes wide open view of our own brokenness and the brokenness around us. But it gives us courage to be able to stand and look at the brokenness for what it is. Because we know on the other end is God's grace and acceptance to heal the brokenness that we see. The reason why the, reason why the, the, the movements in the world won't ultimately heal the world is because they have the broken, the same brokenness inside of them that they're pointing out in somebody else. Again, I'm not saying that those are, those are, we need to do that. We need to fight injustice. My point is this, the only thing that can heal injustice 
is something that is truly just. The only thing that can empower us in our weakness is something that is outside of our weakness. And that is God's acceptance. It is the grace of God. And this is what it says in Romans chapter 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. Condemnation for what? Condemnation for the brokenness inside you and I. Condemnation for the sin. Condemnation for the, for, for the pain that we've caused on others. Condemnation for the trespasses that we've done toward other people. For those, for, for who? For those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because you have recognized your own condition and then chosen through faith and trust to put your life inside of Christ's life. That's the opportunity. That's what Jesus is trying to say. When you recognize that I have the answer to heal the problems, that through faith you can enter in to unity with Christ, there is no condemnation for you. You are now no longer defined by your condition, but by Christ's acceptance. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ, the law of the Spirit, God's world, who gives life, has set you and me free. He set us free from the law of sin and death for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by our own flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be as a sin offering. And so we condemn sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who are led by the spirit of God, this is for you and I, are the children of God. What's your identity today? Band, you can go ahead and come forward. What's what's yours and my identity today? What's the opportunity for us? The opportunity for us is this right here. It's an opportunity for our life to be led by God's Spirit. And when we say yes, to the sacrifice of Jesus, we are transitioning our very existence into Christ's life. And when we are there, we are accepted. And we're not accepted as some distant relative. We have been adopted as God's children. The writer goes on to say this, the spirit you've received does not make you slaves so that you'll live in fear again. But this is what the Spirit does. The Spirit you've received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by that Spirit, we're able to cry, Father. What's the opportunity of resurrection life? What's the opportunity of Easter? This is, it's twofold. The opportunity is for you to recognize your own condition. How far you are from the you God has called you to be. How much pain you've caused in the world. I'm talking eyes wide open. How you can't even deal with your own brokenness and darkness and demons. You run to substances. 
you run to escapes, you run to Netflixing, you run to addictions, you run to success, you run to more money, you run to emblems on the front of your car or labels on your clothes, you run to different identities, you run to certain friend groups. That's you and I, you and I, but we run to those things. It's recognizing that condition and then it's receiving the acceptance of God for us through Christ Jesus. Go ahead and stand on your feet on me.